everyone. Welcome to episode 106 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen with Max Foster. Max is a fantastic travel and landscape photographer based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and he's been traveling the United States with his wife Amy for the last 15 months in their RV. Max is also one of the two founding members of Our World in Focus, a photography contest website that he started with his friend Matt Meisenheimer. Max and Matt's goal was to create a contest site that offered great prizes at a low cost of entry with great sponsors and fantastic judges. In this episode of the podcast, Max visited with me in person here in Durango, Colorado on the last leg of his epic RV trip across the country. We recorded the podcast in his RV and talked about a lot of fun topics, including his journey into landscape photography, his goal for his 15-month RV trip, including various logistics, stories, how to live with your spouse in a 200-square-foot home, and suggestions for others looking to do a similar trip, and a lot more. We also talked about Max's realizations about social media that he gleaned from his RV trip, uh, photography and business thought processes, and of course we talked about his photography contests in detail. This week over on Patreon, Max and I talk about the logistics behind running workshops and some potential mishaps and pitfalls that workshop leaders may want to avoid. Speaking of workshops, before we get started, I want to tell you about one of our Patreon supporters, Danny LeFrancois the amazing woman behind Banff Photo Workshops and Tours in the beautiful Canadian Rockies. I have really been wanting to go to Banff myself to photograph that place. Uh, there's just something about it that really just speaks to me. The mountains, the lakes, the, the, the light, the snow, just, ah, uh, that place just looks amazing. There's so much to see there. But me personally, I would never take a workshop where I share the attention of the leader with several other people. So I figure... Danny probably has the best way that you can experience a place like Banff. She runs private, one-on-one, -on -one, personalized workshops and photo tours where she'll help you with everything from finding your vision, how composition can tell a visual story, or even understanding your camera. So whether you just got your first camera and want to learn how to use it, or if you're an advanced photographer and want to experience the absolute best of the mountains, Danny has you covered. Visit www.banffphotoworkshops.com to check out all the different options Danny has to offer, including half-day, full-day, multi-day, and night photography trips. All right, well, special thanks to our incredible, amazing Patreon supporters and podcast producers. These people contribute at the $20 a month level higher and higher over on our Patreon page. Uh, Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stenslin, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Jason Matias, Anton Everine, Laurie Berenson, Roger Nadell, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Danny LeFrancois, James Bakavoy, Matthias at Photomagica, Richard Wong, Kelly Buchelern, and Matthew Boone. All right, let's get to the show. All 
right, well here we are in Durango, Colorado, about a mile from my house, and we are sitting in Max Foster's RV <laughs> to record the podcast. Thanks, man. Heck yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, first thanks. time in Durango, and uh, I'm glad it worked out. So yeah, and we've got uh, we've got some Belgian quads to uh, to kind of loosen us up a little bit to kind of help lubricate the conversation. Heck yeah, can't go wrong. <laughs> Cheers. Great stuff. Yeah, man. Um, took a sip there. All right, cool. <laughs> well, I feel like so many people already know who you are i feel like you're one of the kind of i don't know i feel bigger names right now in photography i feel like your work stands for itself and um you're doing a lot of really cool stuff but just in case people don't know who you are maybe spend a few minutes um telling the listeners about who you are and why are we in your rv (laughs) (laughs) well you know i appreciate that i i don't know if i agree totally that i'm one of the bigger names but uh Anyway, I've been doing this for a few years, and uh, anyway, why don't I tell you just about how I got into photography in general. Uh, Cool. My wife and I, we got married about eight years ago, and prior to that, I didn't do a lot of traveling. I wanted to, but didn't have somebody to travel with and stuff, so once we got married, she's kind of a travel fiend, and we just, like, we went everywhere that we could, you know, started traveling to Europe and going all over um, traveling whenever we could. So from there, um, oh, and how, how long have you been married? Eight years. Eight years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a while. Um, so when I was on these trips, you know, I just had a point and shoot and, um, uh, I was all pumped about, you know, taking these photos and I thought they were going to be great and stuff. And then I get home and they were just terrible, like just the worst photos ever. And it's really <laughs> disappointing because you're spending all this time, you know, going on these trips, doing cool things, seeing cool stuff. And then you get back and it's like, you want these memories to uh, be, you know, what you actually saw. And it doesn't happen when, you know, you've got blurry, terrible photos. So <laughs> anyway, that is kind of the catalyst to what got me into photography. And uh, from that point on, I just spent a lot of time uh, researching photography in general. And then uh, I discovered 500px at that time, and that was kind of like the height of that website, in my opinion. Yeah, what was that, uh, like 2013? Yeah, around there, maybe okay. a little sooner. But, uh, you know, at that time, you could go on there, and it was just like... The best of the yeah, best. it was amazing. And yes. I had never seen stuff like that before. So, really inspiring. You know, guys like Ryan Dyer and Alex Noriega, Mark Adamus, stuff like that. I mean, really inspired me to um, not only travel more, but... Uh, learn how to take photos that actually look good. So <laughs> that's how I got into photography. And uh, I, I went on trips after that and was focused mostly on cityscapes and, and uh, you know, man-made structures, not so much on the landscape side of things. But then over time, uh, I think just looking at all these amazing photographs on, you know, 500px and other sites like that, um, I saw all these amazing natural places that I either hadn't seen or um, hadn't thought about visiting before, and that kind of got me back into my my love of the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> then we started doing trips just for that purpose, like going places um, you know that might not be like a a big uh, city or a cool village in Italy or whatever, but 
you know, going out to the Pacific Northwest or the Southwest. And uh, that's where I, I feel like I really um, started my passion for photography. And I think, you know, that's where I really got hooked, I guess yeah. you could say. So anyway, that's how I got into photography. Um, and yeah, so. That's awesome. I feel like a lot of people have similar stories of like, you know, you have a point and shoot or you've got your cell phone or whatever and you're, you're out and you get home and you're like, oh, this photo isn't quite what I remember it looking like. And it was way um, worse for me. <laughs> it, was, it was like, what, what am I even taking a photo of here? Yeah. But yeah, well, I know, gosh, probably for, cause when I got into photography, it was all about just documenting my mountain climbs. Right. Um, and it's same thing. I'd get home and like photos would be like super blown out or like, how come you can't see anything in the shadows or, you know, yeah. I just didn't understand how cameras worked. And then I just got this, I don't know, just intense desire to learn more about how to do it better. Right. So it's funny how wanting to have memories that are accurate kind of drives some people to want to learn how to take photos better. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then, you know, from there, it can really fuel that passion too. It's right. not just like, oh, well, now I'm taking photos and, you know, they look good. But right. it's like now I'm researching new places that I want to go and visit or, um, you know, I'm, I'm developing stuff that actually... Um, is not just a memory, but something that I'm proud to show people and, right. you know, maybe it's something unique. So right. that really kicked it into high gear for me. Right. And I think what's even interesting, uh, at least, um, I think probably for both of us is you go from this place where you want your photos to look like an accurate representation of your experience. And then through learning all these post-processing techniques, we often take our photos like beyond that to yeah. more of an yeah. artistic pres representation of, of a place or a scene or whatever. So right. it's, it's interesting how you, it, you kind of go through these kind of phases of uh, presenting your work. <clears throat> yeah, and for me, you know, I, I feel like I probably have a pretty similar story on that side of things too, because when I started... I was looking for tools that could easily make my photos look cool. And at the time, you know, it was like Photomatics, HDR craziness. <laughs> Me <and> too. <laughs> I've still got folders of stuff that I created back then. And it's like, if I look at it, which I shouldn't, it's just like, <laughs> oh man, what was I thinking? This is just absolutely terrible. And, uh, you know, I went uh, through that phase and then I discovered, uh, you know, how to do more of, uh, you know, like the fine tune processing, um, luminosity masks and sure. all that jazz. Um, but I've also gone from like trying to make something that's like really dramatic and more moody to now I think what I'm trying to convey is something that's closer to what I actually saw. I don't, I don't necessarily need to, you know, create this crazy atmosphere. I, I actually enjoy it more looking back when it's closer to what I actually saw. Right. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, um, debate on that. And, you know, I don't really have a strong opinion either way. Um, you know, some people take it, uh, pretty far and other people are, you know, just a few contrast adjustments and that's it. And I'm somewhere in the middle. And sure. I feel like I am too. Yeah. I, uh, 
It's funny, when I look back at um, photos where I pushed it really far and it doesn't look anything like the what I experienced, right. um, it doesn't resonate with me anymore. Whereas when I look at some of my, I guess, more recent images that it's not pushed as far and it's more just kind of really subtle fine-tuning, I feel a lot more joy and pride over those images than the ones that are, I don't know, like just pushed really far. So right. I... I think it just comes down to what you value yeah, and what you're wanting to convey to the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. And I would say, you know, my recent work is more like that where, you know, I, I still like to put an artistic touch on it, Sure. but I'm not going to create light that wasn't there, you know, or, um, you know, any kind of major sky replacements or things like that. That's not really what I care to do anymore. Right. And I, Again, I don't have any problem with it. If people want to do it, um, not for me to say, but personally, I just like to go out, have a great experience, you know, in nature, and then come away with something that reminds me of that and yeah, hopefully looks pretty good. Yeah, I think that is, <laughs> when I think about what is really at the root of being a nature photographer, it's, it's that kind of um, relationship between the experience and how you convey that experience through your photography. Right. Um, so that's really awesome to hear that that's kind of where you're focused as well. Yeah, and then, you know, I've been on the road for a while now, and I've got just a huge backlog of images. So that <laughs> will probably also have an impact on how I process, because I've got, like, so much work to do. And if I take, you know, two or three or four hours sometimes on these shots, I'll I'll be 95 by the time I get them all done. So I'll probably, you know, take more of a minimalist approach to my edits and sure. try to, you know, keep things clean and uh, fairly natural, but also, uh, you know, have that artistic touch. So Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I just got back from an eight-day trip, and you're doing a, what, 15? 15, 15-month, 15 yeah. 15-month <laughs> <laughs> trip, and I feel like... After editing two or three days worth of photos, I'm like, yeah, this is taking too much time. I basically gave up on editing like two months ago completely <laughs> because I just don't have time on the road. Um, I'm just saving it till I get back. So Yeah, that's cool, man. I can't wait to see. Uh, are you, how are you going to release those images? Well, um, you know, I'm actually building a new website uh, with Jack Brower. Sweet. And I know you just did that too. Yeah. So pretty pumped for that and i'm at the very beginning design stages right now mm -hmm. but i anticipate having that ready to go sometime in june maybe early july so once i'm back home i think it's just going to be like hardcore editing just non-stop yeah. trying to crunch out as much as i can and that way you know when i have the have the website done um you know i'll have a bunch of new imagery on there as well yeah so yeah i did kind of a similar <clears throat> thing i had a i probably had Pretty much all my fall colors shots from last year, which was probably my best uh, season of shooting. And I did the same thing. Like, I crunched through as many as I could so that when I released my website, there was a ton of new work on it. And it just kind of was like double impact, you know? Yeah, the stuff you got last year, I mean, that's some of the best that I've seen from you. I mean, it's Definitely. amazing Thank stuff. You. So Yeah. I'm, someday I'll be a good photographer. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Well, cool. So I, I want to know more about um, what inspired you to do this 15-month uh, crazy uh, tour of the United States in your RV with your wife. And um, 
kind of how you've made that work. Um, I know you're you're actually a CFO at a manufacturing company, which is yeah. really awesome that you're able to do the trip and your job at the same time. So, man, just let's dive right into that craziness. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I mentioned that my wife and I both really enjoy traveling, and uh, that's probably like our top number one passion in life. I mean, we just can't get enough travel. So that's the thing. I mean, when we were both working full time at our jobs, we had two to three weeks of vacation every year. And you just can't go all the places that you want to go when yeah. you have that much time time off. So right. um, it was like, I think February of 2017, we were just sitting down having dinner. And uh, I just said, hey, you know, what, what if we quit our jobs and traveled for a year? And uh, at that time, what I really wanted to do was a trip around the world just kind of like backpack around the world. Heck yeah. And uh, <laughs> her first reaction was kind of like shock. And then a few few tears. She was like, not upset, but like tears of like, I'm really excited. That sounds amazing. But wow, what a big change that would be. Um, you know, we both have been in our jobs for a while and stuff. So there's that. And then our families both live close by. Uh, we're super close with them. So the thought of like just picking up and going was it's a, you know, it's a, a big change. And, uh, I said, okay, you know, let's just think about it for a while, you know? Right. And as the weeks went by, we talked about it more and, um, she basically was like, yeah, let's do this. You know? So, um, at that time I thought that I was just going to quit my job and just, you know, we would, come back in a year or when, you know, whenever we got back and then I'd find another job or do whatever. But as uh, time went by, I realized, Hey, I can probably work remotely. Um, you know, being CFO, uh, most of the stuff that I can, I, I, I can do remotely. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, I just log in via RDP and, you know, basically working on my computer at work. So I mean, it's mostly spreadsheets, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, everything I have access to there, I can do from the road. So I went to them and I said, you know, I want to do this trip and I don't want to quit, but if that's what it comes down to, I, I will quit because I'm going to do this. And, uh, they were, they were really, um, generous and said, no, you know, we, uh, value your employment here and, Sweet. Um, you know, we want to work with you on this. So I, you know, got to the point where they were like, okay, um, you can work remotely and, uh, that's what we did. So that's so cool. Um, yeah. So after that was all finalized, then it got to trip planning time. And, uh, I had been building this map on Google for probably like a year where I just pin like all my favorite spots <laughs> and, and you're going to share that, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. We'll put that on the, on the podcast with links, all the right? GPS coordinates. Yeah, of course. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I just built this map and it, you know, it's just all the amazing spots that I could find. And, uh, then from there we designed the trip around that as best we could just kind of a, a big outline of where we wanted to go and the timing and all that and uh, we picked a date that we wanted to leave uh, which is about a year out so we had enough time to prepare for it um, we rented our place that we were living to a couple and uh, we got everything ready on our um, on the 
job side of things. And where did you where did you live? Uh, well, I'm from Plymouth, Minnesota. It's just outside Minneapolis. Okay. And we had a townhome there. It's like a you know decent sized townhome. Um, and the the trailer that we're living in now is like less than a tenth that size. So, you know, we'll get to that a little bit later. But <laughs> quite quite an adjustment there, you know. Right. But uh, anyway, we routed the trip and uh, we picked the date and. From there, we just uh, got everything organized. So once we got close, we you know moved out of our house, got our, our truck and trailer, and, and hit the road pretty much. So And you, uh, no pets, no kids, like none of that stuff to worry about. Had a kid, we, you know, we dropped them off. And, <laughs> you know, no, no pets, no kids. So uh, that was one of the things that we had talked about ahead of time is like, you know, we want to start a family at some point. And I'm 34. She's like a little bit younger than me. Um, but we're getting to the point where it's like, well, yeah. probably want to start right. at some point. Um, yeah, so this it, is a good time do to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we figured this is a great time to do it. We're both healthy, active, whatever. So it was a good time. We didn't want to wait to do a trip like this until we were retired. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So gosh, what are some of the things that people should think about if they're wanting to go on a similar adventure because I, I i've pondered doing something similar i don't know maybe in like five or six years or something like that where you know hopefully um my my wife works remotely um so that is useful and if you know i can rely on photography income to maybe supplement that it might work so yeah i've, I've definitely been thinking about it so right. i'm curious like what are some of the things people should know well you know just right off the bat i encourage basically everybody to do something like this if they can because it is one heck of an experience uh and you know i don't think anybody that i've met that has done something similar to this is regretting it in any way. I mean, it's it's incredible. So, um, but you know, the big thing is make sure that you understand what your goals are with the trip. So for us, um, you know, the number one thing wasn't photography. It was we both, uh, as a couple, enjoy traveling and we wanted to see more of the United States. So that was our number one goal. Um, and then after that, it was income. So. We want to make sure that we're prepared on the income side uh, to finance the trip, not, you know, dig ourselves into debt, things like that. And then after that was the photography side of things. So I think it's about evaluating your goals, um, you know, and it, it all depends on your personal situation. So if you're a single person that just wants to hit the road and, you know, likes to camp and do things on the cheap, well... You know, that's going to be a little different than somebody that has, you know, two kids, a dog, and, uh, you know, maybe they both work remotely. So uh, once you understand what your goals are and what your obligations are, then you can kind of design the trip around that. Mm -hmm. um, so for us, you know, I worked remotely. And then for my wife, Amy, she actually quit her job. She couldn't do it remotely. So um, we did that. And then we had a house or a townhome, so we rented that out. Um, so that allowed us to still get income from that, and we don't have to just pay on the mortgage. But right. um, you know, we're actually like we're breaking even on that. So that's great. Yeah, works out. Um, 
and then from there it's kind of figuring out what kind of rig or setup you want to want to have so for us it was really important that we had enough space uh, w- that we weren't going to just always be on top of each other bumping in each, in, into each other um, and you know we're living in this rig for 15 months so you know it's nice sometimes to have a little breathing room or space for one another so we got a rig that was like 28 feet long has a separate bedroom um, so that way you know after a long day or whatever, maybe we're getting on each other's nerves a little bit. Uh, you know, one of us can go in the bedroom or go outside or whatever, and um, and it, it works out. So, so like I said, I, I think it's just about evaluating your goals and what you want to accomplish from a trip like this. Some people go to a certain location or region uh, and stay there for two months, six months, whatever it might be. Mm. Our, our goal was not to do that, but to actually see as much of the United States as we could. So we had a pretty aggressive schedule going into it. And, you know, I would say on average, every two to three days, we're moving locations. And sometimes that is an hour and sometimes it's 10 hours. So if that's something that, you know, you want to do, you just have to really accept the fact that you're going to have a lot of time driving and moving and, you know, with a rig like we've got it's not like you just jump in and go you have to set up or tear down uh, make sure that everything on the inside is secure and not going to fly all over the place (laughs) um you know and the other thing we don't like staying at rv parks all the time we like to you know get out into nature a little bit do some boondocking or wild camping and uh the thing with that is you know you have great views and it's cheap but you don't have hookups. So you've got electricity, water, um, and then your sewer system to keep in mind as well. So that can be a little, little tricky. So it's the, uh, highest number of days you could go without electricity hookup and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Again, I mean, it depends on your rig and how you, um, were set up, but for us, we don't have solar. Uh, we just have a couple batteries. We've got a generator, uh, so on the electricity side, we can go, you know, as long as we've got gas, but, mm-hmm. uh, the sewer and the fresh water, that's kind of our limiting factor. Mm-hmm. We've got, I think it's like a 40 gallon freshwater tank. Okay. And if we don't shower, then, uh, we can probably get by about six or seven days. And that's like, you know, when you're washing dishes, you've got like a tiny trickle coming down and you're just like totally conserving water as much as, as much as you can. Like if you gotta go to the bathroom, you know, I'll just go outside. Sometimes yeah, definitely. And, I was gonna know, say like do what you gotta do to, especially if you're, you know, in national forest or something. Yeah, like just. Well, it's nicer just, out there anyway. Yeah, so. just take a little walk and yeah. take care of it. And, and if you've got a prime spot for your rig, you know, like there's one spot that I can think of. Uh, we were at the forest outside of the Grand Teton National Park. Yeah. And it was just this amazing spot. We're up on this hill overlooking the valley, uh, looking at the Tetons, just a prime spot, like probably the best spot of the trip. You know, you open your window and you're looking at Grand Teton. So we didn't want to move. So (laughs) (laughs) we were there for, I think, like seven days. And uh, that was a spot where it's like, yeah, we're going to do whatever we can to conserve water, conserve everything. So, you know, we can just enjoy it. Yeah. So So one of the things I was really curious about was your 
your approach and your thought process around selecting destinations and uh, routes and things like that and timing in terms of like what time of the year you want to be in different places because I'm doing a like eight day trip with my wife with just my forerunner and a rooftop tent um, to Montana this summer and um, just getting the two of us to agree on a week's worth of destinations <laughs> is has been very interesting. So, yeah. well, how did you approach that problem? Well, well and, and I mean, it, and opportunity. I mean, it's exciting, but also a challenge. Right. Well, before this trip, you know, if I wanted to go out and uh, shoot fall colors or, you know, go see spring greens or something, that's pretty easy because you just go at that time and um, not much to it. But this trip, like I said, we wanted to cover a lot of ground, basically do a loop and a half around the whole United States. Um, so it was a little trickier. That and then the other thing to a consider. <laughs> the other thing, you know, we've got a three-season trailer, so we can't really spend a lot of time below, I would say, 25 degrees because pipes will freeze and, uh, you know, you would just burn through a ton of propane to heat the place and stuff. So, so did you, like, prioritize being in warmer climates in the winter? Yeah, we did. So we started the trip in February and we're in Minnesota. So um, we basically just drove straight through to Florida. And uh, we figured after a Minnesota winter, you know, it's nice to warm up in Florida. So we spent like a month just going around the coast there. And, you know, there's, it's not like what I would call a landscape photographer's destination necessarily. You know, there's lots of awesome stuff to shoot. Oh, for seascapes. But, but, you know, for for a guy like me, I like mountains and waterfalls and stuff. So it's, you know, it's different. But still, you know, there's a lot of opportunities. Anyway, we were there for like a month, and that was awesome. I mean, we're just like enjoying the 80-degree weather and just hitting the beach and stuff. And (laughs) um, then from there, you know, into March, we started getting a little bit warmer temperatures in the southern part of the United States. So then we started heading west, and, uh, you know, from there, we were kind of heading up the coast, the west coast, um, so we could hit spring greens in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. And then... Like in May? Right. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then after that, you know, it was kind of like three months in the mountains, which was amazing. So, you know, we wanted to do a, a ton of mountain hiking, so we just spent, like months rerouting all over wherever we could based on you know the snowpack and what roads were open and all that um so summer in the mountains then we wanted to spend fall on the east coast we hadn't seen the the fall colors out there so that was a goal um and it was amazing i mean it was i've never seen color like that before so like uh vermont vermont new hampshire maine yeah we went to acadia i mean all those spots in fall are just incredible it's like you know a big bag of Skittles scattered everywhere. It's just right? every color and just so vibrant. So. Oh, that's definitely on my list. I've been wanting to do the um, the long trail, which yeah. is basically the whole uh, whole state of Vermont. Right. Uh, but I want to do it in fall. Yeah. Um, I think that would be interesting. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was kind of a hard decision, too, because we were in the mountains, and then uh, we were like, well, you know, Fall color in Colorado is amazing. Fall right. color in Glacier, whatever. Yeah. Um, so it was hard to, to actually make that decision. But again, we had this route that we wanted to cover. And the only way to do it is if we 
you know, stay on the, on track. So it worked out well. We were, we were happy with the decision. And, you know, the other thing with that is that a lot of the places that we visited wouldn't be places that we necessarily designed a trip around in and of itself. So by forcing ourselves to, you know, stick on this route, we saw a lot of new places that we probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah. Um, you know, little places on the East coast or, uh, you know, in the Appalachian mountains, um, you know, places down in like Georgia. Um, one that comes to mind is Cumberland Island. I don't know if you've heard of that, Mm -mm. but it's this awesome barrier Island down there. And it's got this maritime forest that is like full of these trees that are, uh, they're like, I I forget what they're called. It's like salt pruning. So basically the wind and the salt from the sea keeps the trees from getting too tall Uh and then it it makes them really twisty and curvy. Cool. So it's really, really cool. Um, there's no cars on this island, so we're just biking and hiking around. You took like a ferry or something? Right. Uh-huh. So places like that, you know, we probably never would have seen otherwise. So I, I think that was pretty rewarding too. you know, to find those places that were, you know, kind of a surprise to both of us. It also sounds like there was a fair bit of kind of interplay between having a kind of set general route and areas of the country you wanted to be in at certain times of the year, but then right. also some flexibility in terms of when you get to that area, figuring out, okay, now we're in Washington and it's May or June, like what are we going to do right. for the next week or two? So it sounds like you didn't have everything set in stone. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's interesting too, because at the beginning of the trip, you know, it was like this whole kind of over overwhelming thing where it's like, well, we think this is the route, you know, and it's like <laughs> 50,000 miles, you know, and I think we can maybe do that and stay on track. And then after like a month of being really planned out, we realized, hey, you know, we don't need to plan every every detail here. And that actually makes it less fun because if you find a place that you really enjoy and you want to stay longer, well, it's much easier to just stay there a few days extra. And, Absolutely. you know, then there's other places where you're like, eh, you know, I've seen enough and I'll, I'll move on. But yeah. So, or if the weather is really f- jacked yeah, up. Yeah, or, for sure. Yeah. The other thing, you know, having a big rig like this, we thought it was going to be really difficult finding places to stay. So the first month of the trip, we actually booked uh, every spot ahead of time. And that worked out all right. But, you know, it's still fairly limiting that way. Mm-hmm. And then the last 14 months, we were just like, you know, let's just book stuff on the fly. And it works out so much better. Yeah, because this spot uh, you had, you just picked it up like a couple of days ago, right? Yeah, we were on the way here. <laughs> I mean, that's typically how it is now. It's like we're driving somewhere and that's when we're researching where to stay, um, you know, and do they have availability? And if not, you know, what are our options? And surprisingly, we've only had to stay at Walmart like maybe four or five times. So <laughs> the dreaded RV in the Walmart maneuver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, before this trip, I was like, oh man, I do not want to stay at Walmart. You know, that's the the last thing I want to do. But after being an RVer for this long, Walmart is like the perfect place for RVing. Oh, for I mean, sure. Yeah, you can resupply. Yeah, they got everything you need. They got the cheapest prices on propane, and you know. RV toilet paper, stuff like that. <laughs> but also, almost all of them are RV friendly. So, I mean, if you 
have a really long drive and you know you don't want to you know drive another 10 hours and you want to pit stop somewhere well that's perfect i mean you can just restock everything and then stay overnight and then hit the road early so. yeah i think that's smart business plan of theirs to allow that i don't yeah. think all of them do though no they don't I think this one in town doesn't yeah which is odd to me because i feel like a lot of people like you said would take advantage and shop and yeah it depends on the town you know some of the towns um have restrictions on overnight camping and places that aren't you know they're not campsites or whatever it's funny i did a police a police ride along here in durango about a week ago um for a leadership class i'm in and uh we we went to the walmart uh parking lot for some other reason uh to actually the cop had to eat dinner and um at this restaurant next door to the walmart in the strip mall <laughs> and while we were parked there waiting for the other cop to show up uh this guy just comes up to the cop car and he's like hey i've got a question for you he's like um can i park my rv here and sleep here tonight <laughs> and the the police officer was basically like i don't care uh i have nothing against it but this is private property it's up to it's up to the walmart if you want right. to do that or not so you yeah. make sure you clear it with them first yep so that I think that's interesting. Probably depends on each city is a little different. Yeah, and then I know some WalMarts actually lease the parking lot too, so it's not theirs. So then there's oh, a little sure. more regulation on that. But generally speaking, they they allow it. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's a good business deal for them because everybody that's going there is getting stuff. So right, why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> the first one that I stayed at was in Page, Arizona, and uh, oh yeah, we, we had driven. <laughs> actually, we were coming from Havasu. And we had like a 10 mile hike out of Havasu and then we drove like four or five hours to Page and it's like two in the morning. And, uh, we first were going to stay at the Horseshoe Bend parking lot cause you can stay overnight there. And we got to the parking lot and it's like 60 mile an hour winds. Oh no. So we park and we're in the rig and it's just like this crazy sandstorm outside. And it, it sounds like, you know, we're getting sandblasted and, um, the whole thing's rocking back and forth and I'm like, okay, this isn't good. So then we went down the road like two miles to Walmart and that was our first stay there. And it was like RV city. I mean, there must've been 60 RVs in the parking lot. It was crazy. So it's kind of a, a warm welcome. There's I mean, a, uh, there's a campground that's free about two or three miles from page on that highway that goes between page and Kanab. Yeah. That I was just at because we thought it By was Stud horse point. Well, it's basically, um, I think it's called the new wave, hmm. what people refer to it as. Um, but it used to be like totally undeveloped and now there's like official campsites and stuff, but it's free, but it's first come first serve, but there's hmm. no campfires. But yeah, it's, we, we experienced some of that kind of figuring out where we're going to stay kind of jockeying on my yeah. last trip. Cause, but it's kind of fun. Like. It's an adventure. Oh, you know? for sure. Yeah, and <laughs> now we're to the point where we enjoy it. You know, on the front end of the trip, it was, you know, like we're apprehensive and... Stressed out, Yeah, right? stressed like, out, Where am I going to sure. sleep tonight? Right. <laughs> and now it's kind of funny. It's like if we can't find a spot, you know, we'll just pull over wherever and it's like whatever. So, yeah, who cares? Yeah. I mean, you see it all the time when you're driving on the highways, right? Right. People are just pulled over in their RV on the side of the highway and sleeping. Yeah, and we use a, a website called campendium.com. I don't know if you heard of that. I think I have, yeah. Yeah, and that's awesome because you can actually submit um, spots 
So like, you know, if, if there's a free BLM spot or whatever, chances are it's already on there, but you can submit your own too. But that's how we've found a lot of our best camp spots. Um, you know, and most of those are either free or like, uh, kind of wild camping mm-hmm. and that's our favorite. So you get out there and, you know, just a lot more room. You don't have hookups or whatever, but a lot more room to just, uh, enjoy your space and be in a good, good spot. So, so what was your strategy for not killing each other as a husband and wife on a 15 month RV trip? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know I told you like I had some tricks about that, but there, there are no tricks. I mean, it's inevitable. Like when you spend that much time together with your wife or husband, you're going to drive each other crazy. I mean, there, there's no way around that. Yeah. When I got here, she's like, well, I'm going to leave now. And I'm like, oh, I'm picking this up. Well, yeah, she's going to do laundry at the laundromat. And that's really one of the only times that we have a part. Um, she's probably like, no, I really want to go <laughs> do laundry. Yeah. No, I mean, we're together like literally 24 seven, unless it's laundry, sometimes groceries, but that's really it. Yeah. So, you know, one thing was rig selection. So we, we picked a trailer that was 28 feet long. And, uh, the cool thing about this one is that it's got a, a an actual door to the bedroom. It's not just like a curtain. Mm-hmm. And that way we've got some actual separation. Like if we're driving each other nuts, we can have a little space and, uh, that's, that's worked out pretty well. But the other thing is like, you know, we're in an RV and most of the time we're in really cool areas. So all we have to do is just go outside. We can go for a walk or whatever. And as soon as you do that, you know, it's, it's easy. So I don't have any, any awesome tricks up my sleeve. And I think anybody (laughs) that's going to do something similar to this will probably have moments where it's like, man, I'm going crazy. But in the end, I mean, you just have to have a good positive attitude and, um, you know, work through things and I think it, it works out. Yeah. I feel like a little bit of level headedness too goes a long way in terms of, Oh, I can see that you're, um, in a bad mood. I'm going to go for a (laughs) hike or a walk or whatever. And, um, I'll be back. Yeah. Typically what we've found is our transit days are the days that we're most frustrated. Oh yeah. You know, it's like we're getting up early, getting some work done. And then we've got like a 10 or 12 hour drive and, um, those are the days where we have a little less patience and, um, it's a little more frustrating, but most of the time it's, it's pretty easy. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, man. Um, I know we talked a little bit about this earlier, but I'm curious kind of how, what did it look like for you to weave in your goals as a photographer? Because obviously, like you said earlier, it wasn't your top goal, but obviously it's a big goal. So how did you uh, find time to do that? Yeah, and that has been pretty difficult uh, to balance because I'm working remotely and most of the time, you know, photography comes third. So work is first, then whatever my wife and I want to do during the day, whether that's, you know, a hike or go backpacking or whatever, that kind of comes second and then photography after that. But that being said, um, you know, most of the places that we've got on the trip are places that I've wanted to photograph before. So, you know, we try to incorporate that into the plan. So, you know, say we want to go for a cool hike. Well, maybe after the hike, then we just, 
you know, stop at an area that I've already pre-scouted or whatever. And that's where we wait until sunset or whatever. And, uh, sometimes we'll bring meals with, you know, have some backpackers pantry or whatever right, right there. And, uh, that's worked out pretty well, but you know, the, the downside to doing it like that is that I'm not necessarily waiting for the perfect conditions. Definitely. You know, I'm not going to be in an area for a week just waiting for the, the best light or going back time and time again. You know, we do have a schedule that we're trying to keep. So a lot of the time I just have to work with the conditions that I get. And, you know, I, I think that's half the fun of photography for me anyway. Yeah, you know, I, it's a bigger, it's a challenge to make it work. Right. And typically, you know, if you're creative or you you move around, you can find something that uh, that works out. So that's... That's been good too. I think um, for me as a photographer, it's also, it fits in with my style because I'm not the kind of guy that will pre-plan a whole lot. You know, I don't use photo pills to like line up my Milky Way or like the perfect sun alignment or anything like that. I like just going to a spot and then just seeing what I get. And, you know, different styles out there. That's mine. And uh, I think that works well with a trip like this. But... You know, if if somebody was to do a trip like this, but then stick in a spot for a couple months, I think that would probably be more productive from a, a photo- photography perspective, because then you're giving yourself a lot more opportunities to experience unique conditions, you know, f- go out and really connect more with a, a single place. Yeah, um, like, I'm going to spend two months in the Tetons, and right. two months in Death Valley, yeah. and two months in, you know, Western Colorado, or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, it's telling what you want out of the trip. So for us, it was, we want to cover a lot of ground and see a lot of stuff. But if I was to do this again, I might refine that Mm -hmm. and say, I'm going to spend, you know, six months in the Southwest and then narrow it down from there. And then... Which I would love to do. Yeah. (laughs) There's so much. Yeah, I mean, I've spent the last, like, three months down here and, I mean, it's just crazy. There's so much. It's... God, uh, I feel like there's even there's so much stuff that hasn't even been shot yet mm. that in which not to like get off track or anything, but um, I think that's one of the advantages of the current mindset of a lot of people of like chasing icons and things like that is that I feel like it leaves open a lot of really cool spots that are not on people's radar at right. all. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even if you go to a really popular location, if you hike a little more, I mean, totally. chances are you're going to find something totally unique anyway. I'm just amazed. You know, you go to a popular spot and everybody just sticks to one spot. It's like they set up their tripod and they don't move. And that is like the total opposite of the way I like to shoot. It's like, yeah, I might go and I, you know, I get my iconic shot or whatever, and I've got no problem doing that. But then I don't like to stay there. Like I like to move around and just go explore. Yeah, I'm the same way. (laughs) I get too stir crazy. Well, yeah, I just get bored. And then, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, do you want one comp, you know, that might be pretty good, but it's just something that you've seen before. Or do you want to move around and try and find something more unique? Yeah. Well, and more in line with kind of your own personal vision too. Right. Which some people have and some people don't. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that develops over time, I think. Absolutely. I know when I started out, you know, it was pretty much like a lot of people where, you know, I see cool spots and I want to go and do the same thing, you know. Yeah, definitely. And it just takes time. You know, once you build a portfolio with a, a good number of images, 
that allows you to feel comfortable, I think, to expand that to something, you know, more unique or your own style or uh, what you're interested in. So I think, Lee, I think the word you used <coughs> earlier was perfect, boredom. I mean, you know, you can only do that for so long where I feel like for some people... It's like, okay, I, I need to do something else or else I'm going to quit photography. Well, know? yeah, on this trip, you know, we went to a lot of what I would call iconic spots. Absolutely. And I've got no problem with that. You know, I love seeing those Definitely. spots. But I do get bored and I don't want to just, you know, go to stuff that's all, you know, it's like anybody can go there and set up a tripod. It's like that's not fulfilling for the long haul, I don't think. So for me... It's like, yeah, I might go there, take that shot, but then I'm going to move on. Yeah. And I don't need to go back again, and I want to explore a little more. Yeah. And this trip has been a good combination of all that, where we'll go to the the really popular spots, but then the stuff that's a lot more rewarding for us is, you know, hiking out 10 miles somewhere and finding some amazing waterfall, or doing a bushwhack to some spot that we think is going to be cool, and then if it... If it is awesome and if it's kind of lackluster, well, we tried, you know, and it was a cool experience nonetheless. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, a lot of people really just stick to what is easy. And for me, I think having a combination of, you know, stuff that might be more of sure bet is good, but also really spending time getting off the beaten path and kind of creating your own stuff. Yeah, So I agree. There's nothing wrong with either approach. Yeah. Either. I mean, it's up to you personally what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think the longer you, the longer you're a photographer, the more curious you get with trying different stuff and and playing with different things and experimenting and kind of trying to hone in on something that you know suits your vision or what your creative aspects are, and that yeah. looks different for everyone. So. Yeah, like we were just <laughs> at the Grand Canyon and. Uh, you know, we've been to Toro Weep and the North Rim and the South Rim and Havasu and, you know, kind of the main access points of the canyon. And uh, I just think, you know, there's so much more there oh, that I want to explore and experience that it's really <laughs> inspiring. You know, I picked up David Mensch's uh, book that he's, you know, compiled of Grand Canyon shots. And it's like 40 years of amazing photographs from just the Grand Canyon in all these areas that almost nobody sees and it's like all you need to do is hike down the trail a little bit and you can create something that is you know unique more rewarding and uh i think that that's kind of the path that i'm trying to take yeah. you know especially with this trip so yeah so do you have any plans for um i don't want to use the word monetize but uh maybe culminate this trip like or like a book or a <clears throat> or a series of blog posts, or is there some way that you're going to try to incorporate all these experiences into something that people can consume? <laughs> well, I mean, the main thing for me is photography. So, you know, like I said, I've, I've been fortunate to take a ton of photographs on this trip, and I think that, you know, I'll probably have a, a decent size portfolio from just this trip. So, I would like to really try and expand that, you know, and make that my kind of my master portfolio. And that would be more like oriented towards print sales, licensing, things of that nature. But then as far as the trip is concerned, when we started out, we wanted to do a blog. 
So we've actually got one. It's called theworldofexplored.com. But that has been really tough to maintain just because of the pace of this trip. So we're always on the go. And it's like we barely have time to make dinner or shower, let alone, you know, do good quality blog posts. So we're way behind on that. <laughs> Probably to the tune of like 10 months behind. Oh, so yeah. I think we'll try to try to build that out. But that's going to be mostly just for personal remembrance of the trip and you know something to look back on and you know kind of rekindle those memories and things like that not so much monetize it yeah so i think you know the main thing is just building my photography portfolio cool well i mean depending on the shots you got which i'm sure you have hundreds if not thousands hopefully got a couple keepers yeah (laughs) i was gonna say i'm guessing you would probably have enough content to be able to publish some kind of book yeah, you know, I'd, I'd considered, uh, you know, some sort of, like, USA book because I've been a lot of places in the USA now. Yeah. But uh, first things first, I have to process a couple shots, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I yeah. need, like, 100 hours to get through some of this stuff. And right. Then we'll see. see yeah, happens. and sometimes I wonder, too, because we're in similar situations where you have a full-time job. Sometimes I feel like, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Where, like, if you didn't have a full-time job that was, you know, putting food on the table, would you be more inspired to try to try to monetize or create things out of the stuff that you're creating? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And that was a big consideration. Um, you know, do I want to work remotely or just quit and then really just focus only on that? And at the end of the day, uh, financial security won out. So. Yeah, right? <laughs> I know. But it's uh, a risk. Yeah. It's a huge risk. Yeah. I've been selling photography prints online through a couple e commerce channels for the past five years. Okay. And that's worked out pretty well as a nice side source of income. Mm-hmm. And then when I finish this new website with Jack, you know, that'll be an, another uh, different approach. The stuff that I've been focusing on in the past is more just like decor, you know, prints versus like high end. Sure. Um, you know, acrylic or metal or whatever it might be. So I think between those two sources of income, that should be a nice way to to get things started. Yeah. So. Well, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. It's, it's hard, you know. It is hard. <laughs> Do you want another beer? I'm good right now. Okay, I'm going to get another beer, dude. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> okay, so one of the other questions I had about, you know, especially working remotely on the road, traveling in an RV with a job is internet access. So what what has been your strategy to ensure that you have adequate internet um, access to do your job? Yeah, so when I started the trip, I started with one Wi-Fi hotspot. Like through Verizon or yeah, something? Yeah, it's, it's a Verizon hotspot. And that has like 22 gigabytes of high-speed access providing you're in an area that has LTE coverage. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to start with one and just see how much I use. And I quickly found that, you know, one is not enough because after 22, it just drops to low speed. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work. So I actually got three hotspots and that's worked out pretty well. As long as I'm in an area, you know, like this Durango, I mean, I get a great connection. It's just as fast as what I'd have at home. And uh, then I can do all my work remotely and it's not, it's not too leggy. You know, I can, it's like I'm almost at my desk. So that's worked out pretty well. 
once in a while, if I'm in an area that doesn't have good reception, I'll have to find some sort of hotel or a coffee shop that has Wi-Fi. And uh, between those two things, it's surprisingly pretty easy. Um, I mean, unless you're out in the backcountry, and sometimes even even then, <laughs> you can get reception. Um, it's it's pretty easy. So what is the difference between having one hotspot and three? Well, they say that you know the Verizon hotspot is unlimited, but after a certain gigabyte minus twenty two, it drops to low speed. So it's not truly unlimited. So I just have three. So I have sixty six gigabytes worth of high speed data, and that's kind of like as much as we use. I mean that we we per, have three. Per yeah, per month. We have three just because we almost always get to that 50 to 60 gigabyte range. That's that's the only reason I have three. Okay, so it's almost if like If it was truly a, unlimited, then it wouldn't be an issue. You so know? it's basically like having another line, like yeah. another phone line. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Yeah. so like once you burn through one of them, then you switch to the second. Right, okay. yeah. Got it. So downloading stuff, I mean streaming, things like that are pretty much uh, <laughs> only at the very end of the month when I know I You're not I watching a lot of YouTube videos? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like sometimes I've got to be like, okay, I can't, I've got to get off, you know, Facebook or whatever because I can't use any more data because I need to make sure I've got enough to work. So Interesting, okay. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wish I had that I, I haven't had is a cell booster. Oh, uh-huh. And I've heard good things about them. But I just never, I didn't want to spend, what, like four or five hundred bucks on it. Um, Are those attached to, like, your RV? Yeah, or? yeah, so you can put them on your RV and then, you know, it's not going to make cell um, cell reception exist where it's non-existent. But if you have, like, one bar, now you might have three bars. And that way you can actually get a, a solid connection. You're not going to disconnect from your remote uh, work, work spot or whatever. So, yeah. Have you had next, any... Next time I'll get that. <laughs> have you had any um, mishaps where you, you weren't able to fully do your your, your day job? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. <laughs> so then you have to like scramble to find a... Yeah, well, just recently we uh, were in Havasu and we were there for three nights and then we stayed one night at the hilltop there. And uh, in that area, you know, you get like one bar of 3G which is definitely not enough to do my job on my computer. (laughs) So being four days offline, when I got back, it was just like crazy. I mean, trying to catch up and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in accounting. So, you know, month end stuff. I mean, it's like, there's some things that have to be done in a timely fashion. And sometimes, yeah, it's just like, I have to stay up until midnight, you know, burning the midnight oil, but it's worth it. I mean, I'm, oh, for sure. I, <laughs> I'm not complaining because this has been, you know, a heck of an opportunity. So I'll do what it takes. Sometimes it's late nights. It's funny because, you know, on the East Coast, especially if I'm, you know, sending an email at like one o'clock in the morning, you know, it's like people are getting emails at 2 a.m. back home and they're like, well, what is this guy doing? He's working in the middle of the night. But sometimes that's what you have to do. So Right. And your your job has the flexibility where if you wanted to take a hike for, you know, three or four hours during the day and then work until eight o'clock at night, you could totally do that. Yeah. Depending on the day, I guess. Yeah. Typically, you know, if I have reception my day, you know, I wake up, if I've got a sunrise shoot, I'll go and do that. And then I'll just be catching up on emails on my phone and then we'll come back to the trailer. I'll, you know, make breakfast and then work 
for three, four hours and then get as much done as I can. And then we'll go do our daily activity, whatever it is, you know, paddleboarding, hiking, whatever. And then at night I'll catch up again. So it's, it's fine um, to split up the day like that. I, I don't need to be logged in for eight hours in a stretch, which nice. is really nice. That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, it depends on your job. I mean, a lot of people couldn't do that. So right. just, you know, the nature of accounting and, and that stuff, it's like, I've right. got that flexibility. So. And do you have to do like a lot of meetings or phone calls or things like that where you're connecting back with the, the yeah, tribe? Yeah, some days, <laughs> you know, it's like three or four hours on the phone, mm-hmm. <laughs> which those aren't the best. But, you know, the nice thing is I can be <laughs> on the road and doing phone calls. So sure. it works out. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about kind of the shift that you've had kind of as as a necessity of this trip in terms of your social media usage. So I think one of the things you mentioned to me before was uh, because of the nature of this lifestyle, you're not spending nearly as much time on social media. So, And some of that's probably a conscious decision as well. So what is... What is maybe behind that decision and what have you seen as a result? Yeah, most of it is just, you know, from the nature of the trip. Uh, we're always, you know, out hiking or driving or uh, we don't have reception or whatever it might be. I just don't have a lot of extra time to, you know, spend on social media or websites in general. So I think the benefit for me is that, you know, now I I don't check in. I'm not always, you know, seeing what other people are doing. I don't have like that FOMO, you know, fear of missing out or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, right. there's pros and cons to that. It's like, I enjoy seeing what my friends are doing and all that. But on the other hand, I think it helps you to live more in the moment and experience what you're doing on any given day more and more fully. Um, so I've really appreciated that. I think both my wife and I, you know, are better connected with what we're doing um, or the people around us. So I think that has been a real benefit to less time on social media in general. The other thing is, you know, it helps me as a photographer to really develop my own style too, because I don't have a lot of time to, you know, research a specific location that I'm going to ahead of time. So I just go and yeah, yeah, just wander around or do some trails or whatever. And, you know, that's, that's been really rewarding too. Cause then it's not like, Oh, well that's been shot. That's been shot. You know, now I need to find something, whatever. Um, I just go and I shoot what, what I want to shoot. So yeah, that's, I, I do that myself, um, intentionally before I go anywhere. I, I purposely don't look at images of locations that I'm going to beforehand right. because I don't want to have that preconceived, shot in my mind that's gonna then i feel like that can really damage your creativity yeah i am thinking of this uh over christmas i did a trip to Kauai with my wife and my son and uh one of the days we were gonna go me and my buddy who flew out from portland to join us uh we were gonna do this hike together but he was too sore and couldn't go so i just did it myself and so i drove all the way up to um that kalalau trail lookout and just to see it i've been there once before and i was like there's a trail i know there's a trail where you can kind of like hike out over here on this ridge and but i didn't i'd never seen any photos from there or like knew what i was gonna find but who cares like let's just go on this hike 
and see what I can find. And it was so fun, like so rewarding. I got these really cool telephoto shots from like of these tree canopies below me, and I got right. this really cool sunset shot of the Nepali coast that I've never really seen before. And you know, I don't think they're like mind blowing shots, but from a photography perspective, it's so much more rewarding when you're creating something from just the experience you're having. Right. Yeah. And you know, for me, (laughs) yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And when I was at home, I had a lot more time. So if I had a trip coming up, I would do that. I'd be researching every possible angle and looking at Google earth and all this stuff. And then you get there and it's like, well, I already know what this looks like, you know, and that takes half the fun out for me because I like going to a spot and kind of discovering as you go. So I think that, you know, by pre-visualizing everything, you're really setting yourself up to maybe get a great shot, but not experience the place as it should necessarily be experienced. So one thing I can think of, we were driving from, let's see, I think it was Yosemite to uh, Big Sur, and then on the way, we wanted to hit uh, Pinnacles National Park. And I really didn't know anything about Pinnacles. So we didn't have reception, and we are just like, well, we'll just go and, you know, see what it is. Yeah. And uh, we did a hike around the park and stuff, and it was like this super cool foggy day, and uh, it was just mind-blowing. I mean, it was like this amazing spot. I'd never seen, uh, you know, any great photos that I remember from that spot. And uh, actually... It's funny, too, because I didn't bring my camera. <laughs> but but nonetheless, the experience was really, really cool because I had no idea what was around the next bend, you know, and it's like that's how I like to experience nature and, and wilderness and parks in general. So Yeah, it's a different mindset where you're, where you're curious about what you're going to find and you're open to new ideas versus singularly focused on getting the thing that you pre-visualized right it's a different way to approach photography but i think in the long run it can be a much more rewarding approach even if you don't get anything good yeah you know like probably two or three four days of my last trip i did uh i did that same approach and i went back and looked at my shots from those days and i don't think i got anything worth processing or sharing but it was still some of the most fun I've had as a photographer. Right. You know? Yeah, and I think that's important to remember. You know, we live in this, like, photography bubble, in my opinion, where, you know, everybody seems to know what everybody else is doing and all these shots. It's like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. I've been there, whatever. So just living, you know, outside of that bubble is nice sometimes and experiencing places, you know, without having any kind of preconceived ideas of what you want to create or what you even might see i think that's really healthy and fun and rewarding yeah have you have you noticed any um like psychological or mental health benefits from being more disconnected from social media uh yeah i would say in general it's just nice not thinking about you know oh you know i've got this shot and i you know i wonder if people are gonna like it or you know seeing other people's amazing shots and going well you know i guess you know they got a, they got a sweet shot i guess, I guess i should my go shot's there not very good <laughs> yeah yeah that kind of stuff i i don't know i mean there are good things and bad things to social media and i think you know i've been fortunate to meet a lot of cool people and i think that's the best benefit for me personally with yeah, social media absolutely uh but beyond that 
I don't get a whole lot of benefits from it. And, you know, I know people that have a hundred thousand, a million followers and yeah, I mean, they might have a few, uh, monetary benefits from that, but it's not like they're just rolling in dough, living the life. And even if they were, you know, a lot of these people get kind of stressed out, uh, always trying to come up with a better shot and, you know, having better conditions or trying to impress people more. And it's like, for me, it's not a goal. It's not healthy in my opinion. Um, I would much rather just focus on, you know, creating work that I'm happy with, I'm fulfilled with. And at the end of the day, it might not be, you know, some crazy image that's going to get, you know, all kinds of shares and all that, but I'm okay with that, you know. Just having less time on there is something that I think I'll take back home and kind of remember that I actually, I, I like that, you know, being a little more disconnected. I don't know, it's something to think about for people. I can't agree more. It's So my wife works uh, remotely, but like one week out of the month, she has to travel back to the main office to, you know, put in FaceTime and, you know, go to meetings and stuff like that. And so when she does that, I'm by myself with my son and I'm like taking care of everything at the house by myself, which is fine. But I find when that happens, I'm spending a lot more time on social media. Right. And I find that I'm, like, much grumpier. <laughs> like, for whatever reason, I'm, you know, I'm just spending more time looking at people's photos or following people's conversations or, you know, finding things in the world that just piss me off or whatever. Yeah. And and it, it I'm very conscious of that. And when I'm starting to feel that, I'm like, I just turn my phone off and, you know, find something else to do with my time. But... Uh, I definitely personally have noticed uh, the amount of time I spend on social media uh, definitely has an impact on my personal mental health. Yeah, well, I, I don't think you're alone. I think that's pretty much, it's common among everybody that uses social media a lot, I think. And, uh, you know, I've read plenty of stories about people that have a big following and they create amazing work, but they get burned out on it or, you know, they do have mental health problems because of it and well and i feel like when you're a big account when you're a big name person like i know you know max rive like i'm sure he gets tons of crazy comments and like attacks on him probably some of them for me in the past <laughs> like um you know just you know you're a target for for whatever people are experiencing in that moment right. when they look at your photograph um, which is really interesting, mm -hmm. you know? Well, and I think when you get to a certain level, you know, say you got a million followers, you feel like you always have to be upping the game too. And, uh, I don't think that's healthy for the, that person. And then for the viewers, it's like, well, I could never create work like that or whatever. So I don't know. It's, it's inspiring on one hand. And then on the other hand, it's like, it's got a lot of negatives. So, yeah. And I, um, <clears throat> You know, I've spent a lot of time talking about this and thinking about this, but I also think that effect that you're talking about also forces people to do more and more and more dramatic things in post-processing. Oh, yeah. Where they feel like, if I don't make this image look just out of the park insane, unreal, then people aren't going to like it. Yeah. And unfortunately, we feed that as a... In, through social media, we're, we're feeding that problem. Mm -hmm. well, or, well, it's a problem, and it's also 
creating more inspiration. So it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting challenge, I guess. Yeah, there's all sorts of aspects to that conversation, I think. For me personally, like I said, I think my style is gravitating towards more of the natural approach. Sure. But I think another benefit to that is on the business side of things because typically what I've seen with sales in the past five years is that people that want something hanging in their house want something that is more natural that you know maybe they've been to this spot and they want to remember it how they saw it. Right. And if it looks like Mordor or some crazy sci-fi, you know, <laughs> like thing that you can't relate to, you don't really want that hanging in your house. So I'm okay with that personally because that means that I like the work I'm producing, but also people that are potentially purchasers can connect with it as well. Right. So for me, it's not all about getting more likes because at the end of the day, what does a like get you, you know? And you know, maybe it hooks you up with companies that can uh, work with you or whatever, but it's all on what your goals are. Right. Well, I feel like that's a good segue to talk a little bit about photography and business. So one of the things that um, we had talked about before was, um, you know, how do you find that niche of in photography and how do you create a business strategy around that niche? Yeah. Well, I think in this day and age, it's easy to see that, you know, there's a lot of follow the leader out there and, you know, there's people that create (laughs) tutorials and then everybody creates tutorials and then there's, you know, workshops and workshops used to be few and far between and now everybody does workshops and I've done workshops too. So I I mean, I'm part of that, but nonetheless, which is one of the best ways to make money as a photographer today for sure. But nonetheless, if you want to get outside that and do something different, you know, you have to think outside the box a little bit. And, uh, I think that's a good thing because why, what's going to set you apart from the crowd if you're just following everybody else, you know? So one of the things that, uh, another photographer and I, Matt Meisenheimer, um, yeah. if you're familiar with him, I am. um, he and I started a, a photography contest website. It's called ourworldandfocus.com, And, uh, basically what we wanted to do with that is create something that is photography oriented because that's what we like to do, you know, but also, uh, be a a contest site that offers a really nice value proposition. So we teamed up with some really cool sponsors like, uh, Tamron, Think Tank, metalprints.com, lens pro to go, Topaz labs, um, to create really, really nice prize packages. And then, the other thing is we wanted to make these easily accessible for a wide uh, audience. So our cost of entry for premium contests is pretty low. It's 10 bucks, right? So per, per entry, per entry. Yeah. Uh-huh. And both him and I have entered contests for years and uh, you know, it's all over the board. Sometimes they're free, but sometimes the prizes reflect that. And then, you know, you go up to the, you know, anywhere from 25 to $50 an entry. And, uh, that has turned both us away. And then I'm sure a lot of other people as well. So we wanted to, you know, kind of bridge the gap between those two types of contests and, uh, make it easily accessible and then have good prizes. So we've got the premium contests and then we also have free contests where, you know, it's free. So the prizes aren't all that, you know, robust, but, 
it's something to participate in and kind of test out your photography chops. So we've been working on that for about six months now. And we've got, uh, let's see, one premium contest running right now. And then we've had three or four of our free ones um, that have run and they're completed now. So so for the, the premium contest, um, is it around a specific theme or a set of themes or different categories or like how do... Yeah, typically it's theme-based. You know, and we're at the front end of this whole thing. Sure. So our first contest, it's called The Perfect Moment. Oh, okay, uh-huh. Really broad. Uh, it's not genre-specific, but yeah. mostly, you know, what do people see as their perfect moment for whatever image it is? So it could be, you a know, grizzly perfect... grizzly catching a salmon in its yeah. mouth. Yeah, or like, you know, just a smile that you caught on the street or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, so it's not specific to landscapes. It no, no, no. every type of photography. Right, exactly. Uh, but then after that, our next contest that's coming up is wildlife based. Okay. So that one is a lot more focused. Sure. Um, and then the other thing we're working with some high caliber, uh, photographers for the judging. I uh, feel like that's one of the most important things. If you're going to create a contest is based on the type of genre it is. You want to make sure that the judges have chops or are recognizable in terms of people that have experience in that thing right yeah exactly (laughs) so our first contest we've got max reeve and then john weatherby both photographers that are you know very well known have uh have done a lot in the photo photography world um and then for our second contest the wildlife contest we've got uh, a couple really good photographers they're both one's a national geographic photographer amy vitale and then the other one uh I might butcher his name here, uh, Mojin Troll. Um, he's got just amazing portraits of animals. And, uh, you know, it's like the most unique expressions and like really unique stuff. So mm-hmm. um, we wanted to really make sure that we're getting, you know, top level photographers judging these contests. So yeah, we're, we're really excited important. about that. So what is your, um, what are your goals for the, 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 the project? Uh, well, at the end of the day, obviously it's a business, so we want to... You want to make some money. Make some money, you know, <laughs> and, uh, that's, that's kind of the main thing. Um, but beyond that, like I said, we wanted to create a place for people to come back again and again and feel comfortable, uh, entering images, both in the free and the premium contests, knowing that, you know, it's not just going to be one in a million, you know, chance that you're going to get picked. It's like, it, this is a, a contest that is designed to really reward quality work. It doesn't matter if you have a million followers or 10 followers. If you, you know, have good quality work, then chances are you can be recognized. And, uh, you know, the free contests are a good way to test that out with no cost. I mean, what's the risk? There isn't any. So try are it the, out. And, the judges... Um judging both or the judges different depending on the contest yeah so for the free contests it's editor selection and then for the premium it's all judges that are selected by us and the editors are you and matt uh depends okay right now it's uh him and i but then we also are in contact with other photographers and we don't promote them as judges but 
editors. Okay. So cool. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I, I don't know for whatever reason I'm really curious about photo contests in general. It's just yeah. something that interests me a lot. Um, and one of the things I've seen that have kind of mired the photo contest industry in general in the past has been uh, the uh, judging uh, criteria not necessarily being followed the way that it's written in sure. the beginning of the contest um, or the process of judging is kind of fishy. So like, mm-hmm. I don't remember the name of the contest, um, but I heard a story about a contest where, and I'm sure listeners know the name of the contest. I just don't. Yeah. I know what you're talking about, <laughs> but, but basically like the judges didn't even see the photos right? Yeah. and s- some of the pictures that were selected and I'm doing air quotes, you can see them, but the listeners can't, but some of the photos that were selected, uh, to be in the like final, you know, selections are, were purposely selected because they weren't as good so that it would encourage other people, uh, to submit entries in the future. So I think that's an interesting conundrum that you have as a, you know, you're trying to make money as a business, but you also, I'm assuming, want to do it in a way that's ethical and um, kind of adheres to a fairness standard that mm-hmm. people can respect. Right. So what are some of the considerations and processes you've put in place to ensure that those things are true? Yeah, so part of it is that we are working directly with the judges, obviously, but... Um, they have certain obligations as far as what they need to accomplish within the judging in order for them to be a judge. So, you know, part of that is they also take a role in promoting the contest. So that way, you know, people might go, oh, you know, I wonder if Max Reeve is really a judge. Well, you can check it out on his Instagram. You know, he's got posts about the contest you know, confirming that, yes, he is a judge. It's not just us <laughs> saying, you know, somebody's a judge and they're not actually a judge. So, um, you know, there's that. And then also um, getting feedback on the specific winners from the judges, I think, is really important because a lot of the time you might be selected as a winner or a finalist or whatever, but you don't get any kind of feedback. So I think having that is really important, uh, not only to those people, but also, you know, potential entrants in the future because they're going, oh, you know, I'm actually going to get some feedback if I am a winner or if I'm not, at least I know that these people are reviewing every single image. So Yeah, I, was, I just made a note. That was one of the things I wish photo contests did more of is for, I know it's, I know it's a lofty request um, or expectation, but for every submission, I feel like there should be some feedback, whether it's, I mean, and not just a score, right? Like I did the Epson panel awards recently, and I also did the international photography landscape of the year award yeah. or whatever. I knew I wasn't going to win either, but I wanted to know kind of, you know, yeah, how am I doing? And which I think is a lot of people, why a lot of people submit photos to contests um, not knowing, knowing they wouldn't win, but maybe kind of just kind of getting a feel for yeah. what they need to work on. Right. But my biggest kind of complaint is that you just get a number or you just get a, you just know that you didn't win. So it would be really cool to even just get a very simple composition 
processing, whatever, like feel, here's what you can prove, like in, you know, a sentence kind of a thing. Just very minimal feedback, I think, would go a long way for people wanting to enter a contest. Yeah, and I think that adds value. You know, it's right. not just like you're, you're not just throwing 10 bucks out in the air and hope something happens. Yeah, it's not just gambling. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get something in return. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, cool. Well, what are some of the challenges of creating a photo contest? Well, you know, I think the biggest thing is how do you get your name out there? How, how do you build that name and brand recognition uh, to drive traffic and actually get entries, right? So <laughs> unless you're just doing a free contest and, you know, maybe the prizes are small or you're just really generous and, you know, don't mind giving away thousands of dollars, you need to actually get some entries to, to make it work, right? Right. So for us, that is the challenge that we're faced with every day. And uh, some of the ways that we've been working to uh, accomplish that have to do with advertising on Facebook, uh, Google, and then uh, Instagram. And those have been probably the best advertising channels that we've found. Uh, and I think that is mainly because everybody uses those and then there's a ton of photographers on those so there's that and then there's also you know websites like uh photo contest insider i'm sure you're familiar with that i am i i think i was i think i got a email subscription to that years ago i don't think i'm anymore but yes yeah so you can advertise or post free listings on sites like that and there's a lot of those but at the end of the day most of those are not as effective just because of the sheer number of contests listed on sites like those. But with direct marketing, like on Facebook and uh, uh, Google, you know, you get to target your audience and uh, you pick your spend and all that. So I think that's the biggest opportunity. And then once you refine that audience, then you've already invested in determining, you know, how does this audience perform versus this audience and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, using tools like that help build um, your name recognition. And then after that, you know, it's just a matter of making sure that you're presenting a good quality product every time because that's the main thing. You know, for us, we wanted to present something that is not just like, you know, a free subscription to a magazine, but, you know, you can win serious cash and gear so like our our main contest running right now the perfect moment the grand prize is let's see i think it's two thousand dollars cash uh you get your selection of a tamron g2 2.8 lens you get a 20 by 30 metal print of whatever photo you want you get a subscription to topaz labs and then you get uh, a credit for gear rental so you know, for 10 bucks, it's like, yeah. Yeah, why not? Good opportunity. Absolutely. So for a contest like this, one of the things that I've thought about in creating a contest is how does it generate um, excitement and prestige? Yeah. Right? So like a lot of photographers enter contests because they want to be able to put that on their website to say, I won this contest or whatever. Right. So have you thought of like, is there a name that you would like, Oh, I'm the winner of the 2019 
a perfect moment contest or you know what I mean like how do you You made that sound pretty good <laughs> <laughs> like how do you um how do you sell that to to photographers yeah well I think it also depends on the photographers that you're marketing to because you know a lot of people that you might know um are at a certain caliber that yeah they might not enter a contest like this because of that you know yeah like they... oh there's no way I would ever be the international landscape photographer of the year yeah <laughs> <laughs> or, on, or on the flip side, like if you're, you know, somebody who has won something like that, why would I enter the perfect moment? You know, I've already got the gear that I need. I don't really care, you mm-hmm. know, so it goes both ways, right? So understanding your audience is yeah. important. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're, we're planning on doing different types of contests based on not only theme, but also something that we can uh, make recurring year over year and have more of a specific... Um, like you said, prestige to it. So we haven't come up with all that yet. Sure. <laughs> it's, a, it's a work in progress, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, but I, like I said, I think it goes both ways. It's not just about, you know, this is prestigious, so that's a draw, but also, you know, what's the value proposition or is the prestige in this one unattainable for certain photographers? You know, do they think I have no chance, so why enter? Right. And maybe that's not warranted or anything like that, but it's still something that people think about. Oh, definitely. I I feel like, like I said before, I feel like a lot of people would be happy to spend 10 bucks to get honest feedback that tells them how they could win next year. Yeah. You know? Well, I've entered plenty of contests over the years, and, uh, you know, I know what I like out of a contest, and uh, I think that has helped refine what we're trying to accomplish as well so so why do you enter contests or why have you entered contests in the past like what was your motivation uh mainly because i like to win stuff (laughs) (laughs) i like to win i'm a winner i mean (laughs) i I don't see a problem with that i mean i i think that i don't uh, don't see a problem with it (laughs) you know if you can walk away with a couple thousand bucks or you know a new lens or gear or whatever hey that's a sweet deal in my book, so... Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I feel like most of the contests that I've, I've entered, my motivation was more around just seeing where I kind of landed in yeah. terms of do, do the judges think my work is good. Yeah, and I think your point as far as feedback is concerned, that's important in, with that type of goal because... Yeah, right. Yeah, I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there that enter contests and don't don't necessarily want feedback you know they're just more like oh maybe i could win this i'm curious too like in the especially like the premium contest that you have have you seen a lot of entries that have been like wow this is really bad stuff (laughs) (laughs) well i can't say too much there right but um i'll say it's been all over the board Uh uh-huh you know some people they know when they've got really good stuff and other people maybe don't know that they still need a little work, you know? Mm -hmm. So I guess the feedback part would be important for that type of stuff, you know, because then you can, you know, maybe say, well, the composition was a little off or the, you know, the light wasn't, you know, what it could have been. Right. Or your editing was like way too gaudy or whatever. Right. You know, you can't be... Don't push it through photomatics. Yeah, time. yeah. 
<laughs> Photomatics was 2011. We, I think you could stop using it now. Right. So this podcast is brought to you by Photomatics. <laughs> <laughs> if that was the case, I don't know if I could be on here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we've all been there, right? Especially people. I feel like that. Uh, really got started in the um, mid to late 2000s yeah. or early 10s. Yeah. I feel like a lot of us went through that phase of pushing, th- you know, I have five bracketed photos that mm-hmm. I need to push through photomatics and every single shot I'm going to push through that algorithm and see what happens. Yeah, and shadows don't exist anymore. Right. And (laughs) and sometimes it produced some really interesting stuff and most of the times it produced stuff that looked really stupid. Interesting is a good way to put it, you know. Everything you put through there is interesting. Yeah. Might not be good, but it's interesting. It was interesting. (laughs) If you go back and look at pretty much any photo I created from 2010 to 2000 late 2011 all looks like that which sucks because a lot of my best adventures were in that time so So you're gonna go back and edit i have yeah yeah i've gone back and re-edited a lot of stuff that i've pushed through that i haven't gone back so i have a i have a mountaineering website that um was kind of my primary primary way of sharing my photos with the world through trip reports and all my hikes and climbs And when I go back and read trip reports from 2010, 2011, it's like, oh my God, what was I doing? (laughs) And I haven't really had the motivation to go back and just rewrite them, which I probably should, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of stuff from back then too that I probably should go back and re-edit. It's just a matter of time. And, you know, it's like after a while, I almost feel disconnected from photos that I took so long ago. And then you go back and it's like, well, what do I want to do with this shot? Or, you know, because you don't have the same feeling anymore. Although it's interesting, I have maybe a half dozen photos that I've gone back since I've kind of learned different luminosity masking techniques and things like that, where I've gone back and re-edited them. And, um, and it really has kind of taken me back to that moment because um, the composition and the Everything else was good, mm. you know, but the editing was terrible. Right. So, um, I don't know, I think it's a fun exercise to go back and re-edit old photos to see if you can make them look more kind of in line with your current personal taste. Right. Yeah, and hopefully at some point I'll have the time to do that. Uh, right, because that's there the are, issue, right? Yeah, time. I mean, I think everybody's <laughs> got shots that, you know, they look back on and they're like, ah, it's not what I would do now, but, you know, maybe it's good enough, maybe not. So, yeah, it's funny how that works. Yeah. I mean, it's good to go back and actually see your progress, but also, you know, keep your portfolio in line with what your current vision is. So, right. So let's talk a little bit about your workshops and like what's coming up for you in terms of your, your new website and things like that. Yeah. So the workshops, uh, I teamed up with Matt Meisenheimer, Kevin McNeil, and then Cody Wilson. Uh, Sweet. All, all great guys, great yeah. photographers. And uh, we started worldclassphototours.com, and we aren't running, like, full-time workshops. I mean, it's kind of just, like, um, whatever we're passionate about or places that we're passionate about, that's where we're going to focus on. So for me, the only one that I've got lined up right now is this Tuscany tour because I 
I love Italy. Uh, I've been there a bunch of times, and nice. uh, Kevin has as well. So Kevin and I are doing that in May of 2020. How do um, you, how with your job and everything, how have you been able to carve that time out to do workshops? Yeah, um, well, I just started actually doing workshops in the past year and a half. Okay. And that's when I've been on this trip. So it's been a little easier. Um, sure. But that being said, um, once I go back to work, then it's <laughs> going to be mostly just taking vacation time to, to do the workshop. So, uh-huh. um, but a place like Tuscany, you know, I think that my wife is actually going to go with and she won't be on the tour, but she'll be with me helping organize things. Um, and I think that that will be nice because then it's not like we're spending time apart um, and I'm doing my own vacation. She's doing her own vacations. Um, it's still kind of a joint deal. So Cool. Yeah, and you know, a place like Tuscany is, is just great. I can't wait to get back there. Um, you know, I've had so many good experiences, you know, both with photography, but also the culture and the food and, you know, just the overall experience there is so awesome. Yeah. And Kevin McNeil and Matt Meisenheimer, those are two guys that I would love to, to get here on the podcast. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to have to talk to both those guys and and see if they can do the show because. Yeah. I think I've asked, I've never asked Kevin. I don't know why I've, really like his stuff but i've asked matt a couple times i think he's bad i'll nudge him (laughs) yeah yeah he just got back from nepal so he should have some pretty good stories and yeah definitely he's yeah he's a great guy great photographer and how so how do people learn more about um your your new images and uh your upcoming workshops yeah so the new website is maxfosterphotography.com and i've got my website up right now um, but the new one's coming up probably sometime in June. Cool, you get um, to go through the fun domain switch. Yeah. Well, yeah, the it'll... the hosting switch, which <laughs> I also did with Jack, which is a it's a it's a ride, bro. <laughs> I actually just switched. I've got several different websites, you know, not all photography, um, but I switched from GoDaddy to another one uh, recently because the speed was like a huge issue for me uh-huh. and, uh, it was kind of a pain, but now having them on a host that is like way faster, I mean, it's so much better. So yeah. I've got some experience with the, you know, the pains of that, but yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm stoked to, you know, have, uh, the new website from wide range and I think, uh, Jack and Raza are going to do a great job with that. So yeah, Jack is not only is he like a really awesome human being like he's in a fantastic photographer like one of my most inspirational photographers but um from a customer service standpoint like working with him on websites is he's the best yeah he's so easy to work with you know hey what if we can we try this thing and he's like yeah i'll see if i can make it work well yeah and i've never had a website built or hosted by anything other than like a big corporate company so you know having somebody that i can just email you know and ask a question or uh get get you know something special done i think that's really cool it's really cool i mean i was a zenfolio for six years yeah terrible yeah i started with zenfolio years ago and then uh, i've done um adobe muse i built my own on there and that was terrible i have (laughs) i've done multiple on wordpress and wordpress is great but 
I'm not a web designer. I mean, I'm just terrible with that. So same. I've I've <laughs> gone through like six websites and I've hated every single one. So I'm really really stoked to see the new one. Yeah, I think you're gonna really like it. Well, and the functionality of wide range. I mean, it's it's pretty sweet for photographers. So it is. I mean, it's designed specifically for photographers. Yeah, so. and easy easy to use and browse and all that. So yep. Um, yeah, and then you know once I launch that, I'll be launching. Uh, my new galleries as well and hopefully you know i've got a, a good number of new images coming out yeah what does it say you have <laughs> around 250 new uh, images hopefully yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it sounds like a huge number but really i haven't processed I've, I've done like maybe 15 shots on this whole trip you know and uh i've just got a ton of stuff waiting there and i haven't really had a chance to touch it so i think that'll be cool yeah you know my problem right now is that I've got all these photos and all I have time to do is back up and then I kind of organize and like pick my favorites in Lightroom. But all I do is I just flip through and I look at them and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do that one today. And I'm like, nah, I don't have time for yeah, that. Yeah, I got to cook dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're going to drive 10 hours. <laughs> yeah. All I do is just flip through, which is fun too. Cause I'm like, oh, I'm just getting a rewind on my trip, but yeah. I'm not getting anything done. Right. (laughs) But anyway, that'll be coming out in June. And then... uh, I'm excited to see it, man. Yeah. All right. So who would you recommend uh, for the podcast? Like, who do you think we really need to hear from? Well, I've got a few. First would be Elia Locardi. Have you heard of him? I'm very familiar. Have you asked him to be on the show? I've actually met him. When I lived in Portland, he did a, a... what is it called? Clicks and drinks or drinks and clicks. Okay. He, I don't know. He was working with that company to like host these like photo walks. Yeah. Yeah. So I did a photo walk with, um, him and like Brian Matisse and, Oh sure. And his, his wife, um, Naomi, I think Naomi. Yeah. And then, and then Brian's wife, uh, Nicole. <coughs> um, and that was fun. Um, I haven't asked him on the show yet, but... Uh, I know he's a busy guy. He's got all these uh, he's got some... F-stoppers, video tutorials, and... So have you seen the one <clears throat> that he did? It was like a, I don't know, like a parody on like, photo editing videos or no. whatever, but he did it from like an Applebee's parking lot? No. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> it is so funny. Like He went to an Applebee's parking lot, took all these photos with like... He took photos of the reflection of the building in like puddles and stuff like that, and then he was editing them. It's comedy gold. Yeah, yeah, it's that so up. good. It's really good. But yeah, 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 yeah. He's been on my radar for years for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's got amazing stuff. Great blue hour city cityscape stuff, and that's actually like one of the main inspirations when I was starting out. Um, the other cool thing about him is he's been location independent for I don't even know like six years or forever. Something. Yeah. yeah. So that was another inspiration for me doing this trip. So it would be awesome to have him on the show. Um, I've got Patrick McDonald. Have you heard of him? I have. Yeah. I really like his <clears throat> stuff from uh, from the uh, Redwoods, the Redwoods yeah. in Northern California, yeah. Southern Oregon. And then um, <clears throat> he's got some really fantastic... Uh, snowy tree stuff that I really like yeah. um, and he's also a really nice guy super nice yeah I met him in the Redwoods actually and uh, great guy so he'd be cool to have on uh, Max Reeve I don't know um, I think he's a, a guy that you know he's got a huge following he's got a ton of awesome work and I think 
generally speaking, he's a bit misunderstood by most people that including that me don't probably. Yeah. So I think that'd be cool to get him on and just uh, get his perspective on things as well, because you know when you've got people that are you know pretty popular, uh, people just assume things, and a lot of that you know maybe isn't true. So yeah, I've reached out to him <clears throat> probably three or four times. Okay, I can see um, if I can. <laughs> yeah, I actually uh, I don't remember know if you remember. I want to say it was maybe a year and a half ago. There was a blog post from someone that went on one of his workshops. Oh yeah, that, I know. like <laughs> talked all this crap about yeah what happened In on Iceland the workshop. Tour, yeah, I don't even, I th- I don't even remember if it was Iceland or um, Norway or wherever it was. Yeah, it, but, was, it was Iceland. Yeah, and he they it was super scathing, and yeah. I was like, wow. Um, so I actually reached out to him then, and I was like, I think people would really like to hear the other side of this story, mm-hmm. um, to kind of hear more and. Yeah. I don't think I ever heard back from him. I've emailed him a few times over the years. I think his brother emailed me back one time and was like, Max is not available, but thank <laughs> you for contacting us. Something like that. But yeah, I haven't been successful. Gotcha. Well, I can see if I can uh, get him interested. Okay, cool. That'd be great. Uh, let's see. Matt Meisenheimer. I mean, great friend of mine. Cool guy. I think he'd, he'd be great on the show. I know, you know... He, You've talked to him a little bit about it, but... So, speaking of Matt Meisenheimer, um, one of our podcast uh, listeners and a former guest, Brian Swan, wanted to know a little bit more about your 30-mile off-trail death march that you did with Matt Meisenheimer in the Canadian Rockies. (laughs) How nervous were you floating down a glacier river in a pack raft with all of your gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's up, Brian? I, uh, I've been a big fan of your work for a long time, so thanks for the question. Yeah, that trip was pretty gnarly. I mean, that was one that Matt and I had been thinking about, talking about for probably a year beforehand, and uh, luckily the timing worked out on this trip. Uh, he was actually uh, in Glacier running a tour, and then I was... I was in Glacier as well, so then we met up again uh, in the Canadian Rockies, and uh, there was an area that we were trying to get to, and it was all in the backcountry, no trails or anything, and uh, it basically was like this gnarly off-trail bushwhack scramble to get back to this spot, and that that was actually the hardest and scariest part of the trip, and after we got done with that, we had a 30 mile pack raft out. And, uh, we'd read like two trip reports from some, uh, mountaineers that had done something similar. So we had like s- some idea of how this was going to go, but we underestimated everything. And, uh, <laughs> isn't that how it always goes? It is. Um, well, at least for me anyway. But that's part of the fun, I think. Absolutely. Uh, maybe not in the moment always, you know, when you're like staring and- down a cliff, wondering how you're going to get down or like, you know, am I going to go off a waterfall or whatever? But anyway, then, yeah, the 30-mile pack raft out, that was awesome. Like, it was our first time pack rafting on a river. And I don't know if that's what I would suggest for most people. Like, (laughs) you probably want to, you know, maybe start on a few routes that have been done before, (laughs) you know, frequently, and you know, you know, what's ahead. But uh, (laughs) it was was, uh, something that I think at the end of the day was really fun because you didn't know what was coming up and there's a rush that comes along with that and uh you know we strapped on our our gear and got everything as 
attached as best we could and then we just did it and our biggest problem was that we kept hitting rocks on the way out so it's like we're cruising along and then we just crash into rocks and stuff but uh it was good um we had a buddy along that wasn't a photographer and uh really great hiker cool dude and uh when we're rafting out we're probably 15 miles into the pack raft and going through a rapid section and he actually flipped oh no yeah and you know it's a glacial river so the water is really cold and uh we got him out as quickly as we could and luckily you know we got the raft got his paddle everything was good with that he wasn't hurt but just shaking up i mean he was just like floating down bumping into rocks and stuff were so you in uh, like dry suits at all he had let's see no he didn't have an, a dry suit or a wetsuit i think he had rain gear on oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> we were prepared you know um and yeah i think he might have had some gloves but that's it so anyway we quickly started a fire by the river and got uh-huh. him warmed up and dried off and stuff and then we still had 15 miles to go so um we got within like five miles of our destination and then this huge thunderstorm rolled in on us and it was just moving super fast so we got off the river as quickly as we could and uh then the thunderstorm's like right on top of us and i mean it's just dumping on us so we're like okay you know we just have to try and hike out of here so we just packed up all our rafts and everything and we we hiked the last like four or five miles out and and we made it so we were pretty stoked when we we made it through the entire trip nobody got hurt and uh it was a character building experience you know it was like one of those where it's a constant grind and uh it's always something else you know it's like some sort of obstacle that you need to overcome so it's stuff like that that i i really enjoy i mean i i like the challenge and the experience and you bond with yeah, the you're people never, you're with. Yeah, you're never going to forget that. No, I mean, Ever. It, it was awesome. Oh, and then we got to the trailhead, and my uh, I've got like a Garmin inReach or whatever. Well, my wife wasn't getting a text for some reason, because she was supposed to come pick us up. So then we like befriended some people at the trailhead, and they actually brought Matt like 20 miles down to where we had parked the car and stuff. And uh, then by the time he got back, my wife actually showed up, but... It was just like, you know, it's always something on a trip like that, so. Oh, that sounds awesome. That's, I love adventures like yeah, that. Yeah, man, man, we should do a trip like, you know, off off the beaten path like that. That'd be Heck awesome. yes. I would love that. Did you have anyone else you wanted to recommend? Uh, let's see. Oh, I don't know if anybody's um, mentioned her in the past, but Perry Shalott. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, she's a great photographer, and I think she'd have a lot of insights and cool perspectives and uh, you know not only on photography but on life so yeah i might <clears throat> so i'm going to montana this summer and she actually lives in montana now again yeah i think i i don't know when she was moving i know she said she was moving there so um and so we're gonna try to make it work to where we could do it um when i'm up there yeah it'd be um, awesome we've been going back and forth for probably seven or eight months now about trying to make a podcast happen and yeah you know her husband passed away and i think that could be a really fascinating topic to explore from a from our artist's perspective um so i'm i'm really looking forward to making that one happen absolutely yeah yeah uh yeah so cool 
<laughs> awesome, man. I think that's all I've got for recommendations. Cool. Well, uh, this has been fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Yeah, definitely. Let's drink some more beer. <laughs> all right. Well, first I want to thank Max for joining me in Durango and recording the podcast from his RV. It was incredible getting to know both Max and his wife and learn all about their incredible journey across the United States. Uh, Max's wife Amy and my wife Angela have plans to record their own podcast called Housewives of Landscape Photographers, which is, oh, Real Housewives of Landscape Photographers, (laughs) coming to a podcast, uh, podcatcher near you. (laughs) Well, I hope you enjoyed the discussion uh, as much as I did. Uh, Max is such a cool dude, and I'm really uh, happy to support what he's up to. But now it's time for one of my favorite parts of the podcast, where I get to thank our patrons, our old and new, for their incredible support of the podcast. So first off, uh, my man Steve Bennett just increased his pledge from $5 a month to $10 a month, and he sent in this really funny note. Hey Matt, just a quick note to mention, I've upped my Patreon to a tenner, but there's no need to send the extra sticker. I'm the... On the other side of the water and the postage cost is better off being put back into your costs. Awesome job with the podcast. No other podcast gets me as animated and shouting at the radio when opinions differ from mine. Um, hopefully that's a positive experience that you're having, Steve. And I'm curious if other listeners have a, a similar experience. And um, hopefully it's a it's a good one. So, Also, thank you to our newest patron, uh, Greg Strike. Uh, Greg reached out to me uh, via email for some critiques on his recent photos and we had a great conversation about his professional bowling career and uh, I also pointed him towards the NPN critique forum which you all should check out as soon as possible because it's one of the best ways you can get immediate and relevant feedback on your photography. Thanks again for your support Greg. Uh, you too can support the podcast. Just head over to patreon.com slash fstop and listen. All right, well, three weeks ago, I announced that we are going to be doing a weekly photo theme for patrons of the podcast. The idea is quite simple. Uh, patrons of the podcast can submit their photographs based on the theme of the week, and I pick my favorite submission and talk about it on the podcast and on Patreon. We're going to try this out. And see if people like it. Last week's theme was Earth Day. Unfortunately, we only received one submission, which was a really good one. But I want to see a few more before I make a determination of who wins. So we're going to keep this thing going for one more week. So let's see your Earth Day themed photos, patrons. I know there's about 120 of you out there and only about one or two of you participate. So let's keep the participation going. Um, I do have prizes that I share with you as the winner and I love sharing your awesome photos because you guys are out there taking some amazing stuff. So let's celebrate what you guys are doing. So one last thing, uh, there's another really simple way you can support the podcast that doesn't cost you any money. Literally, all you have to do is use our B&H affiliate link, which is linked in the liner notes and also over on my website at mattpainphotography.com and if you look for the link that says podcast you'll see the big B&H button in there click that order your photography equipment and I get a very small percentage of your sale 
which promotes keeps the podcast going and makes you feel good because you help somebody else out as well. So thank you for everyone who's been doing that. Um, one last note, you can also follow us on Instagram, uh, Matt Payne Photo, or F-Stop and Listen. And we also have a Facebook group where you can uh, chime in on upcoming guests and ask questions of upcoming guests and provide feedback to me as the podcast host. And I think it's pretty uncommon, uh, but I will actually answer your questions and incorporate your feedback as best I can into the show. Thanks for listening. See you next week.